jail cells all those years. It had to be him. I look back at it sometimes. It had to be him. It had to be. I should have been pulled over and arrested too many times to count on one hand or two hands. Uh, it's only, I look back and only God was keeping me from having those, those bracelets around my, my wrists. Amen. He's awesome. He had to have something for me if that's, if he kept me from all of that in the midst of all of that. Think about it sometimes where God has brought you from. There's nothing wrong with looking back and saying, wow, wow, what if I hadn't said yes? What if I had just turned and went the other way? Where would I be? Without hope in this world, in this life, that's for sure. Amen. We're going to continue tonight to talk about being laborers together with God. Laborers together with God. We're going to read our the main scripture for this tonight once again, and then we're going to launch right into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And that screen back there is really dim. I don't count on it anyway, but something happened to that thing back there. So anyway, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, <clears throat> even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are, ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul and another of, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom we ye believed? even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, and neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own Labor, for we are laborers together with God. You are his husbandry. You are his building. Amen? And so we've been talking about being God's fellow laborers, co-laborers. We talked about from the beginning that God won't do anything in this world Without what we call human agency, he has, he will not save this world except through his people. He didn't just save us to sit on a bus seat or sit in a pew and wait for the rapture to come. And it's been that way since the first church was born. He didn't just save people to, for them to just step aside and let somebody else do it. He saved us, and this we talked about this going all the way back to Adam. From the minute Adam was created, God put him to work, naming the animals. And so we as human beings have been in, in the role of being God's hands and God's feet on this earth for centuries and eons. And so it's no different today. God will not bypass those of us that are his agents upon this earth. He won't bypass he won't, he won't supersede people's will. You know that? 
He won't go against your will. He gave that to you. And so he won't usurp that. He won't go against your will. He won't make you serve him. And he won't make us get out there and get busy about our father's business. He's waiting for us to step up. Okay? The original disciples who came after them, uh, all who came after them after the Great Commission were told to go on to all the world and preach the gospel. That hasn't changed up to today. And we're supposed to reach every creature, everybody. And I'm not a scholar, I'm not, not a mathematician, but I, I seriously doubt we've reached this gospel has been preached to every soul in this world. So we're, we're a long way off. Still got a lot of work to do. Not much, much less, not just this world, right here in the city of La Crosse. What we have in this room here doesn't even constitute 10%. I don't even think it constitutes 1%. So we've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of hungry, hurting, lost people. And I just, I pray sometimes, God, let me hear what you hear. Because there are people out there that are in their beds at night or in their car at work on a break or somewhere, and they're crying, literally crying tears and crying out to God and saying, if you're real, like that guy that the king's clown, he sat out on the end of that Navy ship getting ready to jump off the back of that ship and commit suicide, and he cried out, God, if you're real, talk to me. And guess what happened? God did that. And that man's with us today. And so he's listening. He's watching. He's waiting. Jesus didn't go through all that he went through with those 12 men and all those that beyond that and to prepare them to go to stand, to hang out in that room until the day of Pentecost was fully come for them to just sit around. Matter of fact, in one scripture in the Bible, it says that Jesus went to where they were in an upper room and he upbraided them with their unbelief. What does that mean? They were hiding in that upper room. Jesus, the the Messiah, was gone, and they're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Those evil, wicked Jews are out there, and they'll do the same thing to us if we don't just go hide out. And so the Bible says that Jesus went in there and he upbraided them with their unbelief. But then after he upbraided them, he turned around and said, now go. Get out of here. Go. And when they wouldn't, when they only went as far as Jerusalem, he had to bring some persecution so they'd go further. Right? That's what happened. You can agree, but it's right. It happened. Or you can disagree. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. If we look back at Paul and all those people, when, when Paul showed up in Corinth, we talked about how that oh, magically there was somebody else there that was of Paul's same line of work. Just magically. Right? No. God knows what he's doing. When he sends a man to a city, he'll send him some help. Right? He will. He will do it. 
And if what we find there is they were out. Everybody say out. I don't know if that was everybody. Try again. Okay. That's better. Now they were out participating in active ministry. Active ministry. Can I say it again? Active ministry. Thank you. We're not spectators, folks. This is not a spectator sport. There's no bleach. These are not bleachers, okay? <laughs> there are no bleachers. When, when, the, when the commander sends the unit into the field, you don't get to stay back. The whole unit goes together, right? And God, it's, is it fair to say that God, fair, I guess fair is not a good word, but I'll use it. Is it fair for God to have expectations of his laborers? Yeah, it is. And so we talked a little about, about what it means to be a, a laborer. We talked about seeking the kingdom of God, right? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's his kingdom. We're his servants. In his kingdom, and his servants, we're, we're willing servants. He didn't make us be servants, did he? No, we're like that guy in the, in the Old Testament that walked up to the pole and told his master, said, I don't want to go. Here. Drive an all through my ear and mark me. I love you. I don't want to ever go away from your presence. That is, that is our relationship with God. We are so devoted to Him that we're willing to do anything. Use me, Lord, till you use me up. What do you need me to do today? How many of us go into our boss and ask him that question? No. Not in this day and age. They go hide somewhere and hope the boss don't ask him to do anything. We laugh, but it's it's true. So it's fair to to say then, in the natural, it's fair for to expect an employer to expect his laborers to work if he's paying them, right? Isn't that true? You you run crew. <clears throat> when I go to work. It's fair for my boss and, and the, the organization that I work for to expect me to give them eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. And I do that. And I, I slack off when they say, let's all go sit over here and have lunch together and slack off. I go, we all do that together. But when it's time to work, it's time to work. And so I've got to go there with a the mind to work. And I've got to be what they call in the work world a self-starter. You know, my boss, he he's probably the best boss I've ever had in the secular work world. He's the kind of guy that empowers people. He just says, I'm in your way. Tell me what you need to do, do your job and then tell me to get out of your way if I'm in your way so that you can do your job because I'm just the boss. I'm just the one that takes all the slack from people. You're here to do the job, and he empowers people like that. He makes you feel like you can do this. And I've worked for some bosses that all they want to do is just keep everything to themselves, not release anything to anybody. But God's releasing his 
his kingdom into our hands. <laughs> but you're saying, when God asks you to do something crazy, you say, but God, I can't do that. And what does God say? I know. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking you to let me do it through you. Right? Paul didn't do any of that stuff. Jesus did. What did Jesus say? All the stuff that he did. I do it because my father's telling me to do it. I'm saying it because he's telling me to say it. So God is expecting us to wear, he's not expecting us to wear ourselves out working for him. Right? Isn't that, is that true? Because if you're doing, trying to do it all yourself and not letting God do it through you, you are going to wear yourself out. And the enemy will be happy to help you keep doing that if that's what you're doing. Because he wants you to get wore out so that you're totally useless to the kingdom. But if we just step back and say, okay, God, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to you. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You tell me how to do it, and I'll do it the way you want me to do it. You tell me how to say it, and I'll do it the way you want me. I'll say it the way you want me to say it. When it doesn't make sense, especially when it doesn't make sense. Because anything God asks you to do is not going to make sense. It's going to go against everything in your fiber of your being as a human being to do it. But God, if I go there, if I talk to that person, they might actually come to the church. Yes. It's the idea. You know, how do we reach the prostitute? How do we reach the alcoholic that's sitting in the bar? You don't go to the bar, right? You don't go out and participate in what they're doing, but how do you win those people? You ask God, how, how can I do this, God? How, I want to win the prostitute. I want to see the alcoholic. I want to see the drug abuser and the gang member come to you, Father. How do I do that? He's going to tell you how to do it. He'll give you detailed instructions. Philippians 2 and 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right? For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That word worketh is, is the Greek word energeo, which is, is operative or active. So it's God that's operative or active in you. It's not you having to try to think all, how am I going to do this? Okay, let's sit down and write up a plan. No. You know, it, we should just be asking God, what, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? Instead of us coming up with a plan and then handing it to God and saying, would you bless this? I thought it up myself, God. Don't, aren't you impressed? That's what we do. And it all, they're all good ideas. It's not that they're bad ideas, but is that the way God wants us to do it? Praise God. And you know, God, He can only work through us and through our obedient submission to His will. 
That's why Jesus prayed that prayer, not my will, Father. I, 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 can't, I can't get out of this, and so it, it, if it's got to be this way, then it's just got to be this way. So be it. Let's go do it. And it's amazing what the results will be when we do it God's way, right? John 9 and 4 says, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. How many believes that we are in the last of the last days with everything going on around us? We are really, the, and, there, and I just believe that there is a, a harvest coming that's just going to be so unbelievable. It's not going to happen like anybody expected it to, and it's, it's going to happen during situations that we thought there's no way that there's going to be a revival during this. But God's going to bring it such that new converts are going to be out bringing in multitudes of souls into the kingdoms, and we're going to be sitting back going, what's my problem? Why? Are they, how is it they can do? I don't know. Maybe they're just listening to God. Matthew nine thirty five through 38, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You ever felt that way about people when you, when you watch people, when you see people? You ever sit in a restaurant and look at people, waiters, waitresses, people sitting in the restaurant and just... Just try to imagine them as being apostolic. You ever do that? I do. Man, that person over there, if they were apostolic, and I just start imagining all kinds of stuff. They, you know, they wouldn't be acting like that if they were apostolic. And they, if they only knew, and I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing? And so God's, God's given me that, I think, just to, and so I just pray. I start praying for those people sitting in that restaurant. I might not ever get to pray for them again. I might not ever get to see them again. But I'm going to take the opportunity to pray, and, and who knows what God will do. He might just one day ask me to get up and walk over there and talk to one of them. And i got to be willing and ready and sensitive enough to his voice to know that's him telling me to do that and do it at that moment when he tells me. Because you might only have that one moment. You know, you might be sitting on an airplane, sitting next to somebody on an airplane, and the only time you're ever going to meet that person in your entire life and in their life is on that airplane next to them in that seat. Right? And you might not get to pray them through the Holy Ghost. You might not get to see them baptized in Jesus' name, but you do have the opportunity to plant a seed and leave something with them because you don't know where they're going. You don't know who they're connected to. You don't know what's going to happen next. God might have sent you just like he sent Paul to plant a seed. Paul planted, Paul is watered. He might be sending you to water. But you got to be there. you got to be sensitive. you got to know that God is moving upon you to do that. It's his kingdom. He will add to the church daily such as should be saved. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Or so be it. And I really, I really key in on that verse 18 where it says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So if, if Jesus is living in us, in, in the power of the Holy Ghost, does that mean that we have that? That he just said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me? Do we have that? The authority to use that power? We absolutely do. We have it from the throne room of God. We don't need any other permission to use that power. We can use it right now. In here, out of here. It doesn't matter. Driving down the road. We can use that power and we should. Because it's going to be the diff, that's going to be the difference in the lives and the minds of people when they see there's something different about us that's not just religious. I don't know how many, there's several of you in here that weren't always apostolic. And I can remember that, that religious feeling. I can remember being in that and thinking I was okay. Until I heard somebody say something one day that just blew my mind. That was totally outside of anything I'd ever heard before. And I went, whoa, wait. Whoa, there's, there's something else. You're kidding me. And that was all it took. Brother Wayne, that was all it took. Just a little spark. That was all it took. Just one look. Just one one word being spoken. That was all it took to get my interest. In it. And, it, and God just started working on me. How I many of you are agreeing with me right now? You, God took you to the, down that road. He didn't throw it at you all at once. So our first command and responsibility as a co-laborer with God, we just read, is to go. It's to go. He just told his disciples, you will go, and you will take the good news of the gospel and my power with you whenever and wherever you go. In Jesus' mind, when he said that, he was already seeing them full of the Holy Ghost. So he was speaking prophetically to them. And he knew that the crucifixion was coming. And he knew the day of Pentecost was coming. And he knew that his church was going to grow. He was sending these men to carry this gospel forward. I'm leaving, but I'm leaving it here with you. He's leaving it here with us. The power that he was referring to in that scripture where he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth is not the word dunamis, as you might think. That dunamis is like supernatural power and ability. But it's the word exousia. The word exousia means permission, authority, right, liberty, power to do something. He's given us that. Just think about that for a minute. He has given every person in this room that's been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, you have a ministry to operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing holding you back except you. He's made us his laborers. We are his co-laborers. And what did he send his disciples out? What do they call that? The co-mission. The great co-mission. 
otherwise known as the Great Commission. But if you break it down, it's a co-mission. It's God's mission to seek and to save that which was lost. And he would that all men might be saved. And so he made us to be his co-laborers, to go out on a co-mission with him. And he's with us. You don't have to worry about what you're going to have to say when it when the time comes to you for you to have to to speak to the judges or whatever. He said, I'll give you what to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Well, if that's true, then won't he give you what to say in a, in a moment, in an instant, when you really need to speak a word to somebody? I don't want to have to think about where's my Bible and I hope I can remember that one scripture I memorized. And, right? We don't want to have to do that, do we? But if we trust God and trust the Holy Ghost, He's going to give us what to say and He's going to tell us who to say it to and how to say it and when to say it. It's as simple as that. Mark 16, 15 through 18 says, And he said unto them, Go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up deadly serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Any believers in the house? Everybody should have their hand up right now. Everybody in this house is a believer. What did he just say? And these signs shall follow them that believe. Signs will follow believers. It doesn't matter what what your walk in life is. It doesn't matter if you've been in church five minutes or 50 years. Signs will follow believers. If you have enough faith to believe that God gave you that power and authority, a, a brand new convert could walk up to somebody and lay hands on them and they would be healed. You believe that? He's asked us to be co-laborers co in his co-mission. And so as obedient believers, we are obedient laborers. So, you know, the laboring is not about the way we want to do it. Not about our agenda. Yes, we're co-laborers, but it's all about God's will. So we are commissioned to accomplish his will and purpose on the earth. And I just stated that, what that is, to seek and to save that which was lost. No man comes to him except he draws them. Is that what the book says? Well, how does he do that? Does he bypass us and start, you know, drawing people like that? Is that how it works? Maybe. He uses us. Why do you think he said that the love of Jesus Christ would be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost? It's the love of Jesus Christ that's going to draw people. They're going to feel that love, not our love, because our we don't have it in us to love people sometimes, do we? We just look at some people going, no way, God, I couldn't love them. Nobody in here says that, right? We think it, and then we, we repent for thinking it. 
I do. God, that's a soul. Forgive me. If that's the one you want me to reach, I'll, I'll go do it. I don't know what God's got in store for that person. Just because what they look like in my eyes doesn't mean anything. That's a soul that God might use to become a missionary or a pastor or something something else great in this kingdom. Just a soul winner. But they got to start somewhere. And we're not gonna we're not gonna win them with our enticing words of men's wisdom and with with how how cool we are and how how modern we are. We're not going to win them with all of that hype. It's going to be the love of God. That was the thing that drew my wife and I into this, was the love that we felt, the sincere Holy Ghost God love, the agape love that we felt coming from the people of God in that that congregation. That's what drew us in. That's what draws people in. They, They know there's something different about you. They just know. And I just pray, God, don't let them, don't let them just see something different. Let them, let it just get under their skin so bad that they, they walk up to me and say something. Just give me the opportunity, God. I'll speak whatever you want me to say. And sometimes we're hesitant to do that. We're hesitant to be that laborer. It happened to me. I was working with a guy in the army and weeks and weeks and weeks later, I finally said something to him. As new convert. And his first words out of his mouth were, I've been waiting for you for weeks to ask me about that. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was waiting. And God was probably prompting me to say something. And I was being a chicken. And I was just not saying anything. And that man and his wife are in church today. Thank God. In spite of us, God wants to save this city. Luke 9 and 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So as we are commanded to go, we are commanded to teach and to preach and to disciple and to baptize. So as a laborer, our first command is to go. And as we go, he's expecting us to do these things. But ultimately, as Paul said, it will be God that brings the increase. What did he say up here the other day? It took him five years. Who was that that said that? Five years playing chess with a guy? Was that the missionary that was here that said that? He won that, he won that attorney in whatever country he was in and it took him five years of sitting down playing chess with that guy to win him. Five years. That's a long time. It seems like a long time, but finally that guy saw what he needed to see and said, I, I want this. And now he's a pastor in that country. So sometimes we just got to be patient with people. You know, we want to we wanna jump in front of God and do it our way and drag them down to the altar and get them full of the Holy Ghost and get them baptized real quick before they change their mind. Did somebody laugh? It's true. It is true. You know, you don't like it, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's true. It happens. But we we need God to save them, not us. I don't want them. I don't want them to say I saved them. I want them to say that they they came down to the altar and God filled them with the Holy Ghost and they got a relationship with Jesus. Because if this if the man behind this platform 
passes away or moves on or something, I don't want that person to be tied to this man. Or me, if I'm the one teaching them a Bible study, I'm going to teach them how to fall in love with Jesus. And I believe that's what the people of, of the first church did. Acts 2, 1, 2, 41 through 47. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They gladly received it. Nobody forced it upon them. Nobody commanded them to do anything. They let them be hungry. You know, it's amazing. The, Jesus taught the multitudes. And then after the multitudes all went away, the hungry stayed around. And then after he taught the hungry ones a while, then they, they, it kind of got wheedled down to a few less and a few less. And then that how he works. He, you know, there's four kinds of soil that the Bible talks about. And we, we want that, that fourth one all the time, but we don't always get that. But God wants us to be busy about his business anyway. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And that word church, when we hear that word, what do we think about? We think about this building we're sitting in, don't we? But that word didn't mean that to those people in that day. It didn't even come close to meaning a building. Not at all. It was the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. Probably not pronouncing it right. And it means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into a some public place, an assembly of the people convened at the public place of a council for the purpose of deliberating the assembly of the Israelites and gathering or a throng of men assembled by chance tumultuously. And so they, a lot of times it was where they, the men gathered on the, on the outskirts of the city at the gate of the city. They would gather there to have their town council meetings, if you will, to discuss things about their town or their city. And so that's what this word was talking about. They gathered wherever they were because they really didn't. The concept of a church building didn't have any meaning to them in the Greek New Testament. It didn't mean anything. They, they, they had no concept of that. They met from house to house. They they were they were continued they continued daily with one accord in the temple, but then also they were breaking bread from house to house. They were wherever they were, they were talking about the gospel. If they were in the marketplace, they were talking about the gospel. 
If something happened to you like that, that's all you would be able to talk about. And that's exactly what happened. These All these brand new converts were out winning souls. And we read further on in, in the New Testament that the, I believe it's in the book of Acts. Hmm. Is it in here? Yeah, Acts 5, 41 through 42. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, you mean we got to go through that? We might have to suffer shame for being a fellow laborer with God? That's what these believers, sounds like they went through. And they, daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not. After they had been suffered after they had been taken before the council and suffered, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They went in and they stood before the council and they wagged their finger at him and said, stop teaching in Jesus' name. And they went right back out and did it. There's going to come, there's coming a time in this world where it's going to, it's going to get desperate. In Acts 6, 1 through 7, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, multiplied, we went from adding to multiplication, there arose a murmuring in the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then the twelve called the multitude of disciples, not just the twelve now, but the multitude of disciples. So the church had been growing like, crazy leaps and bounds because they kept going from house to house breaking bread they kept they just kept perpetuating that they as soon as they'd win a family in a house they would begin to teach them about the things of god and then that family would perpetuate that same goal and they would go from house to house and and they just kept perpetuating that they just kept training up more people and sending them back out training up more people and sending them back out that's how it happened they were just baptizing them along the way wherever they could find water Wherefore, brethren, look unto ye among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and when, whom when they, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Now, I know we can't see it right now, but I I can just see every seat in this house being taken. And I can see people standing, sitting downstairs, watching this on a monitor. I can just see that. That's just me. Because there, if, if we just got the backsliders in here, that would happen. Just with the backsliders that are, the people that have been preached this gospel in this city since before even Brother Bell got here. They're out there. And now some of those people that were young then, now they have families and and all kinds of things going on. And so it's just amazing what God could do if we would just 
be his fellow laborers together with him. And God's going to do it, and God's going to get the glory. But we got to be out there, folks. We are his laborers together with him. And so when we get up in the morning, we pray, God, help, show me how to put on the armor. Because I'm going to go out into this world, and I'm going to have to face some stuff. And so I need the armor on me. And as we're, as we're praying that, then we say, okay, God, now lead me where you want me to go. Order my steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. If you'll just let him lead in the dance, right? Just let him lead. He's a better dancer than you. Let him lead. See where God will take you. Make yourself available. Not, it's not on our terms. I don't know how much I want to emphasize that, but it's not on our terms. We gave that up. We gave that up. I pray every morning, Lord, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. Mold me, continue to mold me and make me into your image and into your likeness. What did Paul pray? He was praying for that one group in the, in the New Testament, and he said, and I keep praying until Christ be formed in you. Is he totally formed in us yet? No. He's not done with us yet. He is not finished with us yet. We got men in their 70s that are still pastoring. We got, that's no, nothing reflection on you. That's God's business. That's who he tells to keep pastoring and who he tells not to. That's his business. I'm not, I'm not casting dispersions on anybody. But if that's what that's God's calling that man to do, then he, if he's doing it, then he's obeying the will of God. God calls other men to do other things. He changes his plan. He knows what he's doing. You're going to do this until this point. And then you're going to stop and go do this. Right? Am I right? And there came a point in time when things got cut off and you came back here. And then you're here for a while and then now something else. We're still in his kingdom. We're still his ministers. He's still going to use us. We still got to be available. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. In Jesus name. I I really hope that something I said here tonight made sense to somebody.